Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Hi there, happy summer everyone. Welcome to the June installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, our podcast. My name is John Murphy. I'm play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. I'm also an at-large ambassador for Sullivan's Brewing Company based in Kilkenny, Ireland. They're the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. It's popular in bars and taverns here in the Buffalo area, throughout upstate New York, downstate as well, New York City, Westchester, and Long Island, and it's rapidly growing throughout the country. We just launched in Nashville, Tennessee, a great beer town not uh, too long ago. Sullivan's uh, Brewery, the uh, sponsors of our podcast. We talk beer and we talk bills on this podcast. Beer, we're going to talk beer today. We're going to talk with a man about an amazing new technology to clean beer lines in bars and taverns. Do you care about clean beer in your favorite pub? Well, you should, to be honest. It makes a difference. David Buckley is the man behind Glenola North America. It's an automated beer line cleaning system available to bars and taverns. We're going to talk with David about the technology and the importance of clean beer lines for taverns and customers and how it actually may help bar owners save some money when done right. The Glenola technology. We'll talk with David Buckley about that. We're going to talk some NFL football with my buddy Ben Ostro. He wrote a book a few years ago, So You Think You Know Football is the name of the book. It's about NFL rules. Ben Ostro runs a website, footballzebras.com. It's about NFL rules, NFL officials, etc. We're going to spend some time with Ben Ostro on this podcast, and we're going to talk with him about some of the changes to NFL rules. There's not a whole lot this offseason, but there is hiring of new NFL officials, uh, different assignment techniques for NFL officials this year. We'll talk about replay usage, etc. He has literally written the book about NFL officiating. He is an acknowledged expert on NFL officiating. And what better time to talk to him than the offseason? Ben Ostro from uh, NFLFootballZebras.com. Talk about the Bills right now. Minicamp, off-season workouts complete, ended a day early, earlier this week. They ended a month away from the start of the 2021 training camp. It opens up July 27th. Not going away to St. John Fisher again this year, second year out of Fisher. Camp's going to be held at home. They have great facilities in Orchard Park. It'll be held there as the NFL is still recovering from the COVID pandemic. I will miss St. John Fisher and the atmosphere at camp, but, you know, they did all right without a training camp away from home last year. The NFL still dealing with the pandemic. The league's trying to get back to normal, trying to get as many players as they can vaccinated and ready to go back to normal. The Buffalo Bills, not the only team, but they are among the teams that have struggled with it. Josh Allen, most recently Cole Beasley, wide receiver, have both voiced no interest in COVID vaccinations. Beasley most vehemently recently saying he's ready to retire rather than to be forced to be vaccinated. An uproar on social media And it is serious. I'm not going to engage in the overheated, somewhat political rhetoric about COVID vaccinations, but it is serious and it is important. The vaccination is a simple, safe, easily accessible way to avoid COVID. And I encourage everyone, not just football players, everyone to get vaccinated. I would like to see the Bills get vaccinated in large amounts, like any other group. You know, get vaccinated, stay healthy for the Buffalo Bills, avoid any disruption to your season or maybe your opponent's season. I'm not going to campaign for vaccinations. I realize it's a personal decision, 
and people, Bills players included, should be uh, doing what they're comfortable doing. That's no question about that. But it is an issue. Now, a month before training camp. There's time to do it, time to solve the problem, but no overheated debate will help on social media or otherwise. No debate about whether he's doing the right thing or he's doing the right thing or I think he should be vaccinated. That's not the solution. It's not going to add to the discussion. So I'm just going to let it stand for that right now. I hope they all get vaccinated, as many as possible. I hope it is their own choice, and I hope they stay healthy. If they don't, quite frankly, they kind of jeopardize what could be a special uh, accomplished season for the Bills this year. Bills wrapped up their OTAs in minicamp a couple of days ago. Got a few observations, having watched practice at least once a week for the last several weeks. The offense is totally comfortable now in his fourth year in Brian Dable's system, fourth year for Josh Allen. And they've added Mitch Trubisky as the backup quarterback. He has had moments in the offseason workouts. I think it's a really good addition as a backup quarterback. Now, I hope the Bills never call upon him to you know, start a game because I think Josh Allen is uh, probably going to stay healthy. But if he has to, I think they're further ahead than they were a year ago at a backup quarterback. Wide receiver, they are deep. Emmanuel Sanders looks good. He joins a very talented group. Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, some springtime standouts, including Isaiah Hodgins, last year's seventh rounder. He had some good catches in the workouts I've seen. He's tall. He's got a length. Isaiah Hodgins is a guy to watch when they start camp July 27th. Isaiah McKenzie is a guy to watch. He's got experience. You know what he can do. He's got uh, return work in his resume. He's a very good return man, and now they need a return man. I think uh, McKenzie is a guy who could have something to say about that position. Jake Kumaro has got substantial NFL experience. It's a crowded field. He's got, he's got an uphill fight, I would think, but maybe his experience gives him a bit of an edge. The rookie, Marquez Stevenson. We talked about him in our last podcast. Um, he has something to say. You know, the Bills are going to cut some very good receivers this year, just a couple of years after they were desperate for any receiving help. Buffalo defense, to me, should be better than last year. They were pretty good last year, not great. The D-line, I've got a lot to choose from. A.J. Epinesa, now finally the right size for what the Bills are looking for. Epinesa, a first draft pick for the Bills a year ago, second rounder, kind of weight up and down last year and through the offseason, but he seems settled now at the right size, the right weight, and I think he has something to offer that defensive line rotation. Starla Tulele returned for the mandatory minicamp. Back of the, no- the nose. Just a big, wide body. He should help Ed Oliver, I would think, up front. First-round pick this year, Greg Russo, is intriguing. He's so long. He's so tall. I think he's going to have to get uh, better as the season goes along. Probably not going to jump right out at the start of the season with a lot to offer, but I do think he's a very good player. And his fellow rookie, uh, Boogie Basham, he should get a lot of snaps inside or outside. He's got some flexibility there, I think. I'm intrigued by F.A. Obata. He should have no trouble filling out a, a solid, improved eight-man defensive line rotation. I think Obata looks really good, and I'm thinking he, he might be ready to play. That's just some of my uh, observations on the group up front. They are a very, very, very strong defensive line with a lot of guys to choose from, and they're probably going to be able to put together a very good rotation up front. Defensive backfield, solid again. Levi Wallace at the corner. Once again, holding off challengers to his starting spot at cornerback. You know, he is... Always overlooked, always underrated, but I do think Levi Wallace does a nice job, and he seemed to have a hold on the position despite a challenge from Dane Jackson. That challenge will resume once they go to training camp, but I think Levi Wallace is a good player. Obviously, Tredavious White, Pro Bowl caliber player, and two, count them, two 
Pro Bowl caliber safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah High. Linebacker, again, that's where any questions they have on defense, I think, are right there. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds is solid. Uh, Matt Milano, very good. Um, both of them uh, with uh, contracts that allow them to play freely and don't have that to worry about. After that, A.J. Klein, I guess. They usually only play two linebackers again this year. But it may be, again, this year, the only weakness on defense, the lack of depth at linebacker. Didn't see a whole lot of it during the uh, organized team activities or the uh, off-season training workouts that I saw. We'll see. They have time to work that through and, and maybe pick up some, some more players. Uh, the bottom one is the Bills are a good Super Bowl caliber team. They are poised to challenge the Chiefs. They have made up in pass rush, I think, should be enough to give them sort of an edge when they are up against the Chiefs this year, unlike the way they had to play them this year without much pass rush effort. They meet up with them on Sunday night, October 10th in Kansas City. Really the early game of the year for the Bills and maybe in the even in the NFL. Can't wait for that game, October 10th in Kansas City, the Bills at Kansas City. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. The Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast continues. We're on the line with uh, for a discussion about NFL rules and officiating with Ben Ostro. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of the website Football Zebras, a website that covers NFL officiating, is also the author of the book, So You Think You Know Football. Ben Ostro, who I've known for several years. Ben, thanks for being on with us today. We appreciate it. Well, it's good to speak to you again, John. 13 years? You've been doing the website for 13 years? Am I right there? Oh, my goodness. It doesn't seem like it's possible, but here we are once again. (laughs) How did you get started? What uh, got you going on a website about NFL officiating? Oh, goodness. Well, we... uh... I, I, it was just myself, and uh, I was watching uh, a game, and I saw a rule, uh, something that just kind of went sideways during a game. Uh, it, was a, it was a pass that uh, was ruled on the field, but it was actually a fumble. Uh, so once the whistle blew, they were kind of stuck with that, uh, with that call. My question was, after they unraveled the, uh, the erroneous call, did they spot everything correct according to the rules? So I'm looking for the answer, and everything is in the context of uh, a team's uh, beat writer and so how well it affected us. And, this, and I want to know the neutral point of view. You know, what, what is it from the officiating point of view? And couldn't find it, couldn't find it. So I eventually decided to start writing about it. And uh, so it was just a, a, a habit, a, a, a uh, you know, I, I knew the rules called and all that. So this became uh, a, a love of, of the uh, of, of the rules and, and officiating and not to do anything that was going to really light things up. And then eventually it lit things up. <laughs> My perception has been that the advent of instant replay use in NFL officiating has created sort of a subculture of officiating experts and officiating critiques you agree that's a good way of of putting it uh the subculture of experts <laughs> i uh, i have other words but they're probably not for air but uh yeah everybody seems to know everything about all the little uh nuances and you know we come in and you know mostly our, our twitter feed is active that's where most people discover us and then i wonder as you look over the 13 years of the website and the book uh so you think, you know, football, 
Have you succeeded in convincing your readers that you are impartial, that you are neutral? I mean, do pe- because we're so used to people having a, a take, a hot take on not just fishing, but everything around the NFL. Well, I think I do, but in a, in a roundabout way, because I've been accused of being uh, in the tank for, for, t- for 32 teams and, uh, you know, and, and that I'm against everybody else's in. So if I've been accused of every team, you know, being for every team and against every team, then I guess we've done our job and, and kept it pretty neutral. But uh, in the heat of heat of the moment, when, and when something comes up, you know, we, we can we can be the villain sometimes. And, yeah. you know, it, but uh, that that's fine with me. And it's fine with the officials on the field, too. The league cooperates, right? I know the league from a media standpoint, um, well, I mean, they used to take calls, Pereira and those guys, when they were working for the league, they would take calls on a Sunday night if you had a, a rules question or an interpretation question. They're still fairly cooperative, aren't they? I would not say to that extent they do. Um, you know, maybe maybe for some uh, close uh, media partners, obviously they want to make sure that they get certain things out on their, their TV and radio part. Confusion there, that really uh, uh, hurts them because – uh, you know, now they have bad information circulating out. We do get some clarifications from time to time. Um, we find it's a little easier to to get a more uh, 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 get a better answer from asking some retired officials. Hey, we we're taking a look at this. What do you what do you think about this? We have a we have a sense from it from reading the rules, but you were on the field. How was this uh, unpacked? You know. And, and when you go to the league office, you know, it's it's going to be cycled through um, through the PR machine and and, and things like that. Um, they will uh, from time to time, they will they will honestly declare when something was totally botched. But, uh, you know, we, we we tend to, uh, you know, get confirmation on various things from the league office, but not not rely upon them for information. Ben Ostro of uh, Football Zebra's website. Ben, before we get to rules, I want to talk about the people in the officiating crews. And as you point out on the website, there's fairly sizable turnover, right? Six retired officials uh, going into the 2021 season. There's only one new official, though, a result of what sort of the, uh, you know, kind of the way they put together crews last year, I guess, right? They had a lot of people working last year. Last year, we actually had a, a, a double hiring phase because, they did uh, offer a bunch of officials to uh, to opt out of the 2020 season uh, due to COVID. And so then they did uh, do a second hiring uh, spree where they brought in five new officials late uh, in the summer. Uh, so, you know, so they already have, uh, or they already had more than they needed. Um, very much, that would be the second woman uh, to officiate on the field. They have several uh, women in the replay end of it, and she will also be the the first black woman uh, in the officiating uh, ranks. So, you know, so they hit another milestone again, and and they're they're plowing a lot of these down, and you know that is good to see uh, a lot of opportunities that uh, that didn't exist thirty, uh, well, let's even say ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, so you know they're opening a lot of doors there that uh, you know you're, you're seeing a, a lot of uh, different different faces. And, and, and I think that that's always good. So as a, from last year, when they did more of a regional crew uh, model, 
uh, so that everybody was roughly within driving distance. It was a, there was a lot, uh, very limited uh, air travel last year. So they tried to keep people within a, uh, a, a drive of maybe six hours. Um, so now you, you've got crews that are, you know, completely composed just by geographic uh, status. So now they've, they've gone to 2021. They've started to move people back to their original crews. Uh, some of the younger officials, they'll pair them with an older official just so that they have somebody, you know, to mentor off of. So we're returning to normal. And, and it's always good to hear that, that it's just one more piece that we're getting back to normal in, in 2021. Then how much did the league uh, in 2020, how much did it hurt officiating to have those crew, uh, crews thrown together almost geographically uh, and not have the cohesion that a, that a full-time officiating crew might provide? So part of your uh, routine, you know, so that, you know, if we're all creatures of routine, you know, that, that was a major disruption, but that was across the board for everything. But prior to uh, going on the field, you know, you would have a face-to-face -face meeting. You would be talking during the week, uh, you know, in, in video conferencing and, and, and calls during the week and email and, and all these. So, you know, the, the, the crew is still in, in contact, but you wind up with a situation where you, you miss that face-to-face -face meeting to kind of go over some last-minute things. Uh, maybe there's something that, that one particular team you know, has a propensity towards, so they want to uh, highlight that. Um, but basically, everybody was just uh, driving solo to their hotel, going from their hotel to the game site, game site to the, you know, back to their car and home again. So they were missing out on a lot of that, uh, that crosstalk, that ability to kind of go over things uh, face to face. Uh, it probably, it might be a little more limited still this year, um, but we're definitely going to see a little bit more of that as far as crews being mixed up, you know, you know, we run into this in the playoffs, you know, if they made it to the NFL level, they're certainly going to be able to switch crews, uh, without any issue. And, and that was the case last year. We didn't really see any, uh, you know, crew cohesion or camaraderie issues that, that always seem to to crop up from the, the amateur officiating watchers. One thing in 2020 last season that uh, it seems anyway, there was an effort to maybe simplify the rules or pare down the rules. And, and I guess that showed, right? Holding calls in general were down. Uh, instant replay went away as far as pass interference by design. Um, I think they made it more streamlined and even better, maybe an easier game to officiate in 2020. And will that move on to, uh, you know, upcoming season and into the future? What do you think? Well, I think there were a couple of things that converged. I think with the holding, uh, you wind up, uh, you have a new sheriff in there and Walt Anderson, he's the senior vice president of officiating. Uh, Al Riveron is still, you know, senior vice president, but he's more focused on replay. And you did see a shift towards, uh, well, they, to, to borrow the, the phrase from replay, a clear and obvious uh, hold is what they're looking for. Um, so, you know, the interpretation probably shifted because you had a, you know, new management uh, and a new opinion as to, you know, how often we're going to be calling these things. Now, the competition committee, the, 
the owners had uh, approved this uh, in their in their meetings this year, they want the competition committee to take a look at, you know, what was called as holding, why there was that big decrease, um, and to see if there are any adjustments. As far as I know, there hasn't been anything that's come out of it. They're just going to keep it just uh, as it was last year. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll get a little bit more of an interpretation uh, this year as to how they're going to handle it. But it seems like we're just going to handle it just as we did last year. So flags go down and you would think, hey, this is a, this is a good thing because, you know, nobody likes to, uh, to, you know, nobody watches a football game to see the officials throw flags. But uh, it did get some uh, linemen uh, on both sides of the ball uh, a little bit frustrated. Um, but, uh, I, I think that once we get another season down, you know, maybe that'll be the way we go forward. Moving forward, the 2021 season, are there any, um, significant rules changes? Uh, what do you think will have the biggest impact that folks might see in 2021? Well, the one that's really flown under the radar is, is a new low block rule. And if you think about any, uh, any change of possession, you know, the, there are oftentimes you'll you'll see a, a uh, illegal block below the waist called. Um, those are specifically set for change uh, changes of possession. Now they're going to move those to scrimmage plays where there isn't a change. So basically, you're looking at anything that's outside of a box that's essentially bounded by you know where the tight end position would be. So if there's a tight end on one side, that's where that line is. On the other side, if there's no one, then, you know, it's about uh, three yards out from, from the, the tackle. And basically within that block, within that box, we're not going to add any low blocks. But outside the box, out in the open field, any, any block below the waist is going to draw a 15-yard uh, penalty. And that's going to be on both sides of the ball. So, uh, and, and it's a, a major adjustment because, you know, as as we see some of these low blocks phase out and, you know, it's going to be an adjustment year here and, you know, a 15 yard penalty is, is fairly harsh in that. We saw the same thing with the adjustment on uh, roughing the passer. Again, that was a 15 yard uh, penalty and, and, and a lot of uh, defensive players were, uh, were really upset about, uh, you know, Clay Matthews, probably the, the, the most vocal, um, you know, and, and we kind of set in, we had a, a, a full season, we came back, no, there's no change. And then it kind of died down a little bit. But uh, I, I think that that's going to be your, your big call this year, the 15 yard low block. And then this time, instead of just being on the defense, it's both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Then can I, um, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but at the risk of sounding like an old guy, there are two major issues about officiating that, that I feel pretty strongly about. And I want to run it by you and see if there's any hope of change. First of all, replay use. Is there any way that the NFL could ever just eliminate use of replays and officiating? People tell me, don't be, don't be unrealistic. It's here to stay. What do you think? Well, it is here to stay. I, I think, in fact, they, they did expand it a little bit this season uh, to allow the replay official to kind of jump in with some more uh, obvious calls. So as we see it, they got an extra 20 seconds between snaps that, you know what, we did see a foot out of bounds. It's very clear. We don't have to go under the hood and review it. 
just make the change and save a challenge on, on the coach in that situation. Anything that involves a little bit more racking the video back and forth, you know, that that's going to be subject to a challenge or a booth review if we're under two minutes. So, yeah, they're trying to, you're seeing a push towards more involvement. Um, you know, the, the Alliance, when they were, uh, when the Alliance League was in, in play, they had the Sky Judge. You have the Ravens pushing this idea of a booth umpire, just basically another uh, set of eyes that's just going to watch the game from, from, the, uh, uh, from the replay booth and, and make calls from there. Um, they rejected some of those more uh, interventionists' ideas and kind of stuck just with replay and said, look, if there's just in a small window of, of things, you know, maybe you can jump in. But, you know, they're, they're really entrenching into replay. And, you know, as it's expanding to other sports, uh, the sport that I would say invented it uh, would have a lot of a lot of trouble putting that genie back in the bottle. And one more thing. And, and, and again, uh, people tell me it'll never happen, but the, the league did take steps towards full time officials a year or two ago. I think it would make a difference to have full time officials whose livelihoods depend on getting it right and being trained and prepared uh, to make the calls. But uh, the, the league isn't really going full speed ahead with full time officials, is it? Just not yet. Anyway. Well, one of the complications is, um, you know, it'd be full time, it'd be, you know, uh, within the context of the you know 40 hour week uh, but then you also have to say well then that's year round and the NFL is the only uh, the only sport that has uh, uh, a longer off season than the season uh, yeah. everybody else is more than six months uh, in season so you, you got a lot of slack time in between uh, Super Bowl and training camp and, you know, there's only so much film you can review. You can probably knock out an entire season of, you know, every play in about a month and, you know, spend an extra time on on the real controversial ones. You know, you can probably uh, do that in a couple of weeks. And uh, from there, then there's not much more to do. You can advise the competition committee, maybe. But uh what they're going to do, they will go back to a core of, of officials. They had approximately 20 of them that had year-round duties. So maybe they'll do more in, in scouting areas. Uh, it still remains to be seen. Uh, but that's something that, you know, post-COVID, they're going to start uh, looking at either this year or next year is returning to having those uh, officials as, as advisors. But as for full-time, I would say in-season, Every official is full time, uh, you know, even though they have outside jobs, they're devoting 40 plus hours to their NFL work in their in their free time. So uh, such as it is. So it's not just the three hours on the field on Sunday. There's a lot of discussion meetings, film review. They're going through every play of the game that they just called. They're going through all the calls that that are, are marginal or have some sort of interpretation elsewhere. And by the time you've added it all up, they've, they've spent that full time uh, in that, in that week during the season. Ben, your book uh, is still available. You're in the second edition, right? So you think, you know, football an armchair refs guide to official rules. Uh, uh, you you got to update it after a while, right? Well, yeah, the, the competition committee keeps throwing things yeah. out and, and uh, kind of whittles away at, at some of the interpretations that we put in the book. So 
yeah, work uh, work continues on on the second edition there, and um, you know, trying to, to find the time to uh, to to get a to get a good update in there. You know, you, you find some video from some old game, you're like, wow, that that's something. Make a make a note. So I have a stack of index cards with all these little notes of games scribbled on there. So uh, before long, yeah, we we should see a um, a second edition come out there. So as they say. Stay tuned. Yeah, well, this is the time of year to read the book. Uh, so you think you know football by our guest, Ben Ostro. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of Football Zebras, the website. Ben, thanks very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks very much, John. Ben, thank you. I've uh, I've stopped uh, recording. Thanks very much. Hey, what's your – you said Twitter. People reach you via Twitter. What's your Twitter uh, handle? At Football Zebras. Simple. I apologize for my technical ineptitude earlier. Oh, God. Again, I, I'm just happy it wasn't on my end of it. <laughs> yeah, you're off the hook. Ben, thank you. Yes. Stay in touch. All right, take care. Good luck with your move. Have a good one. Will do. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. The Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff Podcast continues with a special guest. He is the man behind Glenola North America, an automated beer line cleaning system. David Buckley joins us. He's also involved with the Newburyport Brewing Company and the Port Tavern in Newburyport, Massachusetts. David, thank you very much for coming on with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, John. Tell me about, uh, well, your interest in this. You're a native of Ireland, right? And, and Glenola got started in Ireland? That, that's correct. Um, I've been, uh, I moved to the United States in 97 and uh, actually was educated here, third level education in the 80s, but uh, been living in Newburyport for probably 15 years and originally got into the drinks industry through my bar, the Port Tavern, and uh, then in a little bit further by getting involved in Newburyport Brewing Company and finally uh, Glenola North America, which is a system that supports uh, bars and breweries. So, how did you get in, interested to begin with in Glenola? What got you started in this, uh, you know, uh, beer line cleaning systems? So any, any bars, that, any draft bar system, wherever it is, a restaurant, golf club, hotel, whatever, um, has to clean their lines. And they normally are advised to clean their lines every couple of weeks. It's a traditionally done manually. It's a dirty process. It's a wasteful process. Uh, I had been back in Ireland. I met the inventor of the original system. And uh, I, I thought, well, why don't we have this in the United States? So uh, I brought it over. We put it in our bar, uh, found dramatic changes in both quality, waste reduction, et cetera. And then we started, then I opened up North America, uh, started to uh, install it in, in bars in Boston and New York. Uh, finally, we, we purchased the patent off the gentleman who invented it, and we re-engineered the product to make it even simpler and smaller and started then um, rolling it out nationwide. Do people appreciate the importance of clean beer lines? I, I read a quote, I think, from an associate of yours who said, uh, a dirty beer line is like a master chef serving food on a, on a dirty plate. And it's a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good comparison, right? Yeah, I think, I think, every, you know, obviously the, with a lot of beer drinkers around there. I think that said, uh, a lot of people, they can have a bad beer because the line is dirty, but they don't have the confidence to know it's that. And they'll just, shall we say, suffer in silence. Um, what's really nice about our system is that you can clean any line at a, at a touch of a button. It takes around about eight minutes. 
If we have a proprietary color-coded detergent, which is purple, as it's cleaning, if there's any bacteria, it'll change color to indicate there's bacteria. Uh, we do it in our tavern. We, we, we clean and basically every time a keg kicks. Um, and it take, and it, so it means we're making sure that every uh, barrel is coming out of a clean line. Uh, and why that's, why that's really important these days is that with the craft revolution, most bars are rotating their, uh, their, their, their beers, which means when a beer ends, they'll be putting on a different brand. And, and, and without our system, you have no way of cleaning that line. So what you do is you push out the old beer that's left in the line with the new beer and you start serving. So if that previous beer had been in for, say, months, that particular brand, you're going to get the taint of that taste. And that's why I use the analogy about the plate. You know, somebody gives you a steak, but they put it on a, shall we say, a smoked salmon appetizer plate. You're going to get the taint of that smoked salmon on the steak. And yeah, that's why I, I think it's, a, it's a, a no-brainer to have a system. And I've read where you think that um, uh, it's, it's efficient, too. We'll get into the efficiency, but not only does it uh, uh, clean out the line, but it, it makes you, it lets you use what's left in the line. And what, how many pints? Seven pints, did you tell me, left in the line? No, to be honest with you, you have one pint for every 20 foot of line. So if you take my tavern in the new report, we have 30 taps and there's three pints in every line. So before the system came out, we would have an independent company come over to clean once, twice a month. We would pay $250 each time, but we would then waste 90 pints every time they cleaned. So that's 180 pints that's gone. Uh, with our system, once you uh, introduce it, you're able to serve that beer in the line and use it before you do the clean. Now, we don't do that for every beer, maybe the cheaper beers, and we're in a hurry Friday night, we might not do it. Uh, saving wise, uh, but it, you know, it, it certainly we brought our uh, waste down. I'd probably say sixty percent. We have some customers do the whole hundred percent, and we've got some quite frankly that just use it because they like the cleanliness, and then they're bothered about the waste. You've really got that. Uh, you've got that choice. You know, it, it, it's at least you have that choice. Yeah, David Buckley, our guest, he's with Glenola North America and an automated beer line cleaning system. I want to ask you how it works, but first, the name Glenola. Uh, it's a Gaelic word for Clean drink, is that right? That's correct. Uh, it was named uh, by the uh, original, uh, uh, I guess, inventor of the product. And uh, we had at one stage when we bought the, uh, the, the company separate and we bought the patent off him, uh, we were, were thinking of changing the name because people get it confused with the word granola. Right. Uh, but we, we just thought, no, you know what, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, the, we should keep this. So we, we, we kept it. All right. So let's talk about how it works. You have a, uh the line master system used in bars and taverns and restaurants around this country. You're introducing it in many uh, places in the United States. How does it work, David? How does uh, Glenola work? It's almost like a little dishwasher. You, you have a unit, it's about 30 pound in weight. Uh, it's normally situated just down at the cooler. We put, you know, people think we're putting in all sorts of uh, paraphernalia, we're not. The lines are already there. All we do is we put a line around the inside of the cooler with what they, we call um, uh, ring mains. And these ring mains are the same as a sankey, which is the top of the, the keg. So when your keg is ready to go, you unhook the sankey of the keg and then you hook it into our system and press the button and then it's ready, it's all pressurized. It's That allows you to carry on uh, still serving that beer in the line. And then when you're ready to open up the taps, it will go into its automatic clean cycle, which takes anywhere from probably eight minutes up to 12, 14 minutes, depending again on the length of lines. 
Is it a, a chemical cleaning process? Is it strictly detergent? How, how is it working? Cleaning? Water, uh, water to start off with, uh, to make sure that it's rinsed correctly, and it's water to end to make sure it's rinsed correctly. Every system is calibrated specifically to the bar we put in, so there's no excessive waste. The original system had a, a, a fixed cycle. And I was sitting there and we were saying, well, hold on a second, you've got a bar here that's 10 foot lines and you've got a bar here that's 500 foot lines, but it can't be the same, you know, same cycle. So we, we, we changed it that way. We introduced the, um, the detergent, um, which is a proprietary detergent actually made in England. It was originally developed uh, for a company called JD Weatherspoons, which is the largest uh, pub owner in the UK. Um, but the company itself is completely uh, proton. It's completely uh, involved in the hygiene industry. And uh, so we introduced that. As I say, it's got a color change. It's purple. It'll change if it's... Uh, if it gets bacteria, very nice, uh, verifiable um, solution. Uh, I mean, any beer cleaning solution is very caustic, and that's why it's also been traditionally a dangerous uh, thing to do manually. Uh, but in our case, you don't touch it. It's a one that goes into the, the detergent bottle. You don't touch it. It, it gets uh, uh, mixed in the cylinder within the system, uh, and when it's finished, you just change the change the bottle. I don't mean at every clean, but when the bottle is gone, I mean, one bottle that we use would last roughly three months. And as you mentioned, it's flexible. Like you, if a, a tavern has 10 taps, you can clean one and still pour uh, beer in the other nine, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, again, one of the issues with manual line cleaning is it's done in the middle of the night or out of hours. Uh, it, they, 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 hook all the lines up like it's one super long line. So you naturally can't save it because you're pushing one beer into the other beer and it goes out. Ours is done independent. The other thing that's nice with our system, it's a cold water system. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get too specific, but all beer lines are wrapped around what's called a glycol system, which keeps the, the beer lines cold. When a manual line cleaner cleans uh, using warm water, it heats up that glycol, so they get foam for quite a while after, which is one of the reasons they have to do it hours before they reopen. Our system, a cold water system, so during, even during you know open hours, you put it in, it, it cleans it, and you don't have plenty foam after. David, I've seen pictures of the the Glenola Line Master. It's basically the size of a like a small box or refrigerator, right? Yeah, like a, probably like a, it would be the the, the size of a, say a, a dormitory sort of a refrigerator you you have uh, on the shall we say on the front of it looking, but it would only be half the depth of that. Um, we we brought the size of it down dramatically. We, we we've used we stayed to the original patent that was developed for the system, but we've made quite a few changes from sheer experience and uh, customer feedback, et cetera. Uh, I mean, initially the original system uh, was a little complicated. So we get some pushback from bartenders that said, hey, you know what, this is too complicated. We've made it now a one button push. So as I say to people, if you can change your keg, you can use the system. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, bartenders complaining about the, the complexity and you've, you're now marketing the Glenola product all, all over the US. What are some of the objections you're finding? Do people say, uh, we don't need it. Um, it's it's too expensive. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, uh, it, not now with the new system. Initially, there were some uh, issues because you, you had to go back and forth to, to turn it on and change the settings. Now you don't have that. Uh, the only probably pushback we would get now is that there are some states of what they call them distributed clean states where the distributors going in and cleaning it for free. So I have get sometimes I get some people that say, well, if I'm getting it for free. Why am I renting your system? And I said, well, it's very simple. 
even if you're they're coming in, when your keg kicks and you're rotating, they're not there to do that. So you're still, shall we say, putting on a new beer in a dirty line. The other issue is you have no ability to save. So even if you just do it, put it in, have, you know, uh, for, for this waste savings, you're more than more than uh, adequately paying yourself. So as a result, we are now uh, getting into a lot of states that are distributed clean states where the bars have just said, you know what, uh, it, it, even the fact we're paying for this and we were getting it for free before, the, the, the advantages far outweigh it. And, so, and the advantages, if you can just list those, they include, I guess, the efficiency of, of uh, uh, pouring beer throughout the cleaning system, but also it's got to be product control, right? Uh, people will, will enjoy serving better beer, better tasting beer. That's that's true. And, and, and to be honest with you, when we, I live in a small town, you before, like, let's say we have 12 restaurants here. Uh, I very consciously wouldn't uh, sell, install a system in any other restaurant other than our own for the first few years, because we would craft, we, we prided ourselves on offering a nice array of craft beers. And everybody in our little town knew, well, you go to the tavern for a good craft beer and you know the lines are clean. They actually even used to love people at the bar sitting and watching us put the little, uh, uh, how would I say, um, runoff hose on, on a line and seeing the collar coming out. I think it was felt, you know, and I think underlying people have known that lines can be, uh, how would I say, uh, neglected. Um, interestingly enough, when I'm selling or when I go into bars, one of the first things I do when I'm trying to go into a customer is I actually go into the bathroom. And if I think the bathrooms are dirty, I say, you know what, I'm not even going to offer them the system because if they're not cleaning the bathrooms that people can see, they're sure as I'm going to clean the lines that they can't see. <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, so what, David, what can uh, bar owners listening or even uh, patrons, you know, the publicans, what can they do to learn more about the Glenola system? Um, I think if you, our website is Glenola NA. I must have uh, stressed the NA as in North America because the actual original site from Glenola and Ireland is still active. Uh, so sometimes people will make that mistake. Uh, so if they just contact me at uh, glenolana.com, uh, I can give you my mobile over the phone if you, or over the, the, the podcast if you like. It's 617 642 6148. We're happy to talk to anybody. We come on, on site. We do a demonstration. It takes about 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, we're not a hard sell company. We are basically, look, um, it, it, this is it. We want to help you out. Uh, I often say to people, you know, it's, it's a rental. If you don't like it, we'll take it out. I've never had to take a new system out. It's quite, quite the opposite. We'll put one in a group of, say, nine to test it. And, and very shortly thereafter, they'll be calling up and saying, okay, we need to roll it out to the rest. Um, but my, my view is very simple. If you don't like it, I don't I don't want you to have that. You know, there's certainly no obligation. And again, during the lockdown, even though we have agreements with our customers, we took the view that you're 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 locked down, you're not operational, you're not paying us. We we, we just said to everybody, no, we're not being hardball. You've got enough on your plate to keep uh, alive right now. So you know, we have a we have a a, a, a a very good customer base and we're not necessarily looking to get obviously we want to grow and make to become big but we really just want that relationship with the customers that we have that are the good quality beer loving customers great idea david good luck with it thank you very much john good to talk to you today david buckley is the man behind glenola na north america and an automated beer line cleaning system you're listening to sullivan's pro football kickoff with John Murphy. Well, that's it for our June edition of the Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. I want to thank our guests, 
David Buckley, who you just heard from Glenola, North America. They have an automated system to clean beer lines. You can find out more at glenolana.com. And, of course, David gave you his uh, email address if you'd like to inquire directly to him. Good guy. And we thank him for joining us to talk about that. I think it's going to be big for bars and taverns very shortly. also want to thank uh, the author of the book, So You Think You Know Football. Ben Ostro joined us, the man behind the website, footballzebras.com. It's about NFL officiating. Not a whole lot of new rules this year in the league, but there are a lot of new officials. And it's good to catch up with uh, Ben Ostro just to get a sense of what's to come in NFL officiating in the upcoming season. Bill start training camp in just about a month. Last week of July, we'll have our next Sullivan's podcast right around then. We are brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company of Kilkenny, Ireland. Have you tried it yet? You should. They're the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Available in bars, taverns, beer stores all over the U.S. Of course, here in the Buffalo area, it's available a lot in Buffalo, pretty prevalent in Buffalo, but throughout upstate New York, in New York City, Long Island, Westchester, New Jersey. In Ohio, we can be found in Cleveland and Columbus. In Georgia, in Atlanta and Savannah, and now in Nashville, Tennessee. It's coming soon to a bar, tavern, or restaurant near you. I want to thank our producer who puts it all together for us, Pat Feldball. We'll see you next time right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beers.